Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Market and Cafe. Hey, Charles Goldman's with me again, folks. Uh, can't seem to get rid of this guy. Yeah, it's yeah. good seeing you, Ed. Yeah, likewise. Um, how was your uh, How was your night at the caucuses? Well, hey, good. First, a quick shout out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing the bumper music for this program. And uh, yeah, we could have used a little Irish music at the uh, caucus last night. It went. It was a long haul, comparatively, because it was a big crowd. Really? Yeah. I think partly there were. Um, and can you the district? The, the precincts are central uh, Des Moines precincts? Yeah, or? and they, they combined two precincts. So it was a fairly, it was like, I don't know, 150 people showed up. Uh-huh. You know, so there's more media than people. And my, my, the last time I went to a Republican caucus, <laughs> not quite actually, the last time I went to a Republican caucus, that was in 2012, there, mm-hmm. were, more, there were only about 60 people. Uh-huh. Anyway. But no, uh, speaking of media, I did interviews with uh, the uh, press from South Korea and Japan. Really? Yeah. I mean, in they, the original language or? In my original language, yes. <laughs> oh, Irish? <laughs> <laughs> no, King James English. I see. Okay. <laughs> Just like the Bible, Charles. Well, we were, we were downtown, uh, Grayson and I were downtown yesterday, and as we were walking through the Skywalk, there were, you know, multiple journalists from clearly other countries, um, you know, based on the language they were doing the reporting in. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, this had... Worldwide attention. I mean, there were probably I don't know six or eight different uh, media, national, international media at the at this particular caucus. Yeah. Interestingly, um, the uh, turnout was way down. I yeah, mean, was, even even though even though our particular precinct uh, had higher turnout than it did what uh, back in 2012, mm-hmm. last time I went to a Republican caucus. And again, in Iowa, you can switch. You can you can just, you can just go in at the last minute, and uh, there were I, I couldn't tell for sure, but there were a bunch of people there that I knew, who were Democrats, who like me were probably going to vote against Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I I I, I I I guess that's all you want to say about that. Um, <laughs> oh, Haley did win our caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, she won the other one as well. Right. I she she, only, yeah, she won one county. Johnson, Johnson, by one vote. By one by vote. By one vote. Right. I thought she was going to win uh, Polk County, Story County. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was looking, she was, she was pretty competitive there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, 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 the speech, you know, every, every candidate has somebody get up and give a speech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Haley guy Did they was, like your speech for? I didn't give a speech. For, for Vivek Ramaswamy? No, no, no. The guy <laughs> who gave a speech for Vivek Ramaswamy had a shirt, young guy, big beard, looked like he could have been straight out of January 6th. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Which which participant in January sixth? The FBI uh, provocateurs no, no, or an no, actual the guys, January? The guys who were standing trope. with the guy with the big horns. Yeah, oh, guy, okay, yeah. that kind of yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of January sixth. Yeah, 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 that okay. kind of January sixth. Yeah. No, and, and he had a shirt that said "Register Communist, Not Firearms." <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, it's, that's more clever than most of what comes out of MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, but you know the the, the uh, speech given by um, the uh, the DeSantis supporter, God, obnoxious. I mean, it was a, it was a state lawmaker from Florida, right? Because I guess they had no 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 DeSantis supporters they could rely on to give a, a well. You know, no, that's really here. that's that's kind of strange because he he in fact had 
half of the Republicans in the state Senate here, and almost two-thirds, I think, of the Republicans in the House. And the governor. And the governor. No, so he has some guy from Florida to give a speech, and the yeah. guy wouldn't shut up. I mean, the, the chair, who was the Trump supporter, right. had to, like, you know, remind him several times, you're over. And he kept, just kept going on. Kept going on. Yeah. <laughs> it was so rude. Was he wearing, like, Mickey Mouse ears? No, that's okay. He looked a little bit. Uh, he kind of had the same kind of uh, shirt on that uh, that uh, um, Zelensky would wear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. So, um, yeah. So that's a strange choice because I mean there was clearly establishment support here in Iowa among the Republicans was clearly higher for DeSantis yeah. than anybody else. But you know, I mean, it, it, I want to say something about that too. One, one more, a couple more things yeah. about the uh, about this particular caucus. Um, uh, you know, I, I, there were a bunch of Democrats there. I'm certainly not a majority, yeah. but enough to, you know, to give Haley the victory, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, there was one one Republican woman who just uh, she just glared at me, and I just smiled back at her, and she because she, she recognized you. She accused me of know. rigging the system. You know, I mean, anybody can go to either caucus. I mean, I'm I'm a registered independent or no party person. Mm-hmm. I have a right to go to any, either caucus if yeah. I want. You know, right. So, I mean, rigging the system, come on. Well, but the the elections, the steal, you know, the, the stop the steal uh, mantra is very powerful among the Iowa Republicans who came out last night. You know, sure. I mean, yeah. about two-thirds of them believe that Trump did, in fact, win. Yeah. I mean, I know a couple <laughs> of people who I really respect in other ways, as much as I can respect <laughs> anybody who's voting for Trump. Um, one person in particular who, you know, runs like a philanthropic enterprise in Africa and does fantastic work, mm-hmm. you know, um, one that doesn't involve self-interest, you know, as mm-hmm. everything that my impression of Donald Trump is. Um, and, you know, he also is a rabid mm-hmm. believer in that it was all stolen and you know, everything yeah, that it's, Trump it's, claims It's hard to happen. understand that because the evidence is so contrary to well, that you know, position. Well, you know what? I've, 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 I've come to believe that what's happening is that in, in the news media's enthusiasm for audiences, which they now have absolutely, you know, keyed to showing right. Trump as much as possible. Which, and it's, which is also why they called the Dan caucuses at oh, 7.30. Oh, that was ludicrous. We didn't even, we didn't that even was vote totally till irresponsible yes. and totally ludicrous. And that, that DeSantis was right about that. He was, he was right, right to criticize that. He was absolutely right. You know, but the thing is, is that what's happening is that the people who are watching Fox News, the people who are, wa- are reading the Epic Times like I do, you know, um, <laughs> the whole ecosphere of the right is that they're sucked in for like the press conference or, or the, you know, the Q&A, you know, set up town hall that Trump will do on Fox so often. But then they're exposed to the rest of the whole mantra of, of what's happening. And they become here, they hear it over and over and over again. And they develop that same paranoia that you're seeing coming out of what used to be the evangelical churches, which are now nothing more than political actors and really shouldn't be tax exempt any longer. Right. You know. But I, I think it's it's a it's a bystander effect. Is that once they're sucked in, and that's the danger of showing Trump and concentrating and giving so much time to Trump on all the outlets. Yeah, yeah. but the media love it. It's uh, it's good for their ratings. That's that's all they care about. Yeah. It's business. You know, and that, you, the the typical slogan is if it bleeds, it leads. But mm-hmm. I think if it's uh, if it's Trump, uh, 
<laughs> it's also going to lead, you know? Yeah. No. That's absolutely so, true. Hey, a couple more things about my caucus. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, I, and, and, as and, I said, and, you invited me. I told you I would never spend that much time with a bunch of people in the MAGA world. It was fun. So, yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, the, the biggest, the, the most uh, um, enlightening revelation that come out of this, and this occurred just before the caucus, is um, Kathy was at an appointment with her dentist and um, her dental hygienist said, you know what? You look like Nikki Haley. And so we did a little, uh, little, uh, little playing around with that, and yes, she does. And we missed a huge opportunity. Imagine Kathy dressed as Nikki Haley, going, <laughs> going, to, going to Ron DeSantis events. It would, it would've, it would've, he would have went ballistic, you know? Anyway. But the other thing, the, 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 the really funny thing that happened at the caucus, right? sitting across from me, um, or just a, a, a kitty corner of me, um, a woman with a, you know, a nice sweater on, uh-huh. black sweater, and a guy I know comes and sits right across from me, and he's he's got a, he's got this dog that is just all kinds of hair on him, right? And when he takes his coat off, his coat gets hair all over this woman's sweater. She's apparently allergic, so she's kind of freaking out. So I I go off and I find a big piece of duct tape, and I you know boop, 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 take uh-huh. take all that uh, that hair off with the duct tape. Where, where was this duct tape sitting around that? It was just there. I, I I just went off to try to find. Or maybe something. they were taping over the cables to keep people from tripping. Over. Well, maybe they're going to tape over the mouths of anybody suspected of being a, a you know a Democrat. <laughs> I don't know, but but it came in handy for getting dog hair off this woman's sweater. And then um, <laughs> and then and then you know and then she lightened up and it was kind of funny. Then she right. she has long hair and so she started taking you know loose strands of her long hair and putting it on this guy's, <laughs> which he laughed about. It right, was, it was pretty funny. So you know that's the kind of that's the kind of. Uh, you know, that's a real re- retail politics. Uh, retail politics, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but uh, yeah. So I mean, okay. So we knew this. This is really a non-story. Trump was going to win, and he won. Big. You know, and and here again, I, how are they spinning this this morning? They're spinning it as he thumped everybody by thirty percentage points, which we knew was going to happen. Right. Yeah. And and but the the other part of this is. He got 51% of the votes of basically people who were willing to come out 14% on a horrible of, right. night. 14% of the Republican voters in Iowa. And less than, probably about 5% of most of all registered voters yeah. in, in Iowa. So 51% of 5% support Trump. That's correct. <laughs> I mean, well, that, that is actually, but here again, this is exactly how the media spins it. It makes yeah, it seem him indestructible. Right, right. He got 50%. He got 51%. That doesn't translate into a win in a national election, no. except for if that happens in swing states. Well, and the other thing is, it doesn't necessarily translate into wins in subsequent uh, primary states for, I mean. Oh, yes, it does. Well, because, but, but if, uh, okay, so if, uh, if all the anti-Trump votes coalesce behind one candidate, he might be in trouble. But I say might because he probably won't be. He he would be in trouble in states with certain demographics. And I think one, I was listening New to Hampshire's a lot of commentary. Of Correct. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of commentary today, and someone did make the point, which I think was completely valid, which is that the demographic of the participating Iowa Republican voter now looks very similar to that of most of the southern states. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even a state like Florida. But, I mean, we're talking... You know, real Confederacy states like <laughs> Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, those kind of states, you know. And so it is in some sense reflective of a lot of what we're going to see, but it isn't reflective. Of the, it's becoming increasingly not reflective of the national, right? Pop, you know, uh, polity at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I think it's hilarious that, uh, that that Haley now called it a two-way race, even though that she was, was I, 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 It was unfathomable <laughs> what she was trying to say there. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's also kind of unfathomable that uh, DeSantis thinks that his, uh, you know, measly 21% is somehow uh, glorious. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, obviously, it's all rationalization for them because they do want to stay in. Well, and, you know, and, and Haley is only seven points behind Trump in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and you know, DeSantis, DeSantis is way the heck behind. He's like, what, 5%? And, uh, and uh, Haley is, uh, he, she rose from, let's see, October 1st. She was 15%. She's now 30% mm-hmm. of the vote. And Trump is only 41%. Uh, and actually, some polls show them even closer. So... You know, I mean, so that could get interesting. What if what if Haley wins in New Hampshire? What do you see? Do you see that meaning anything beyond New Hampshire? I mean, if 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 she convincingly wins there, and if somehow she can come close to Trump in South Carolina, I mean, this is kind of that's a, her home state. She should. Well, it's an Al Gore. <laughs> it's an Al Gore moment. That's correct. But she's she's like twenty five points behind him there in her own state. In her own state. Yeah, that's not good. And. Um, and Nevada will vote before South Carolina. I, I think if if you're able to win New Hampshire and get close to Trump in South Carolina, it probably forces DeSantis out, and then maybe you do have a a, a two person race. Yeah, um, it'll be like Sanders and Clinton. You know, it'll mm-hmm. it, it, it it'll be or or Sanders and Biden. It'll be it'll be a, a two way race with one clear front runner and. And no going back. I mean, there's no, there's no that folks get used to it. Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, which is a huge favor. So here's my question: it's a huge favor to the well, Democrats. What, 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 what does it, uh, what, um, what does this mean for? What would Haley, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy have to gain by being in the race in the first place? And well, Ramaswamy's out and supporting Trump. Uh, I'm sure he's he's jockeying for a VP position or some some mm-hmm. some key key appointment. But yeah. what about Haley and DeSantis? What do they have to gain by continuing in this race? Part of it is ego, which is, of course, the driver of every and that's politician. More, more for DeSantis than Haley, I think. Yeah, I think that, I mean, Haley kind of has put herself in a box, which is she's absolutely said she would not accept being the vice president. You know, well, uh, Trump, the, yeah, Trump would never choose him well, or, no, or no. DeSantis. No, I, I agree with He'd you. Better he, shot at choosing you. <laughs> well, okay, that's going I to doubt that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I do think that. Um, She's got backers. Um, there are people within the Republican establishment that are hopeful some miracle will happen and that Haley can somehow you see, know, I don't see that garner I, enough I, delegates. I, I, I think they're both playing the long game. Haley and DeSantis, they know they're not going anywhere this time. They know Trump's going to have nothing to do with them when he wins, if he wins, uh, if he loses. I mean, if, if he loses, they are in a position to take a good shot at it in 2028, that's my that's my take. They're they're playing the long game on this. I think that that is is a reasonable view. I think the bigger danger for them, and this plan is he wins, because a couple of years of Trump, and what he's going to do is, you're going to have a a fracturing of, of the Republican Party that's complete. Mm. I think even the MAGA base, some of them will start to, to, abandon Trump because remember everything. It, you know, it's kind of like it, it's kind of like you, you know you think about your you know your spouse and like your spouse dies after many years of marriage and it's like you turn around and all of a sudden they were like a saint, right? You know, and people have forgotten how bad it was under Trump. You know, <laughs> and, I don't I don't know if I like this metaphor at all, but anyway. <laughs> but you know, and so the, it, but we need a little more Trump in some sense to undermine. This notion that making America great is through this 
you know, program. And I think that Trump, it would be horrendous with what he's already saying he wants to do. Sure. Project 25 is... Uh... Probably, yeah, the yeah, uh, Heritage Foundation's Project 2025. Yeah. yeah, but I think it would so it would so denigrate the program that DeSantis, no Republican will win for many years to come. Um, so well, I don't I'm, know. They've, they've, they've got a political advantage through gerrymandering and yes, a whole but it's bunch beginning. Of other it's beginning. Yeah, that's beginning. That's beginning to to fall apart, yeah. except for some high you know profile places like North Carolina. So my take is, I, I think I think Ron DeSantis, uh, when he loses, is going to try to find a way to get back into Trump's graces. Yeah. Because. Uh, he He'll is, rerun the ads from he his, is of the his, same, his he's governorship a, with yeah, him right, building right. the wall out of his kids' blocks. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to do that obsequious ad again. Yeah, but I think Haley, I think Haley, I think the split there is is permanent, and I think she's not going to go full blown Liz Cheney and uh, and you know endanger her prospects within the Republican Party in the future. But I think she's going to maintain that distance from Trump. Well, the last thing I would say for this segment would be, if you're Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. And you're looking at the fact that you got 50% between you of the vote. Not quite. Almost. Maybe if you had actually done what normal candidates would do, which is actually criticize the other people you're running against, mm. and instead but of they, worrying about holding on to the Trump they don't base, want to do that because they see the writing on the wall. They, they, see, they see Trump's victory uh, in terms of the nomination, and they, I think uh, they, they, they probably believe he's going to be the next president. And you don't think that if Nikki Haley was excommunicated from the Republican Party, the Democrats wouldn't accept her in a second? I think that would be a tough transition. Why? I mean, she's even, seen as a centrist, whether you think she is or not. Sure. She's seen as a centrist. Sure, but, but, but uh, and she, you know, right of center enough where I don't think she would be pal- palatable to uh, any kind of a majority of Democratic voters, even repackaged by the DNC. I don't know. I, I think that there's always a future in the other party. And unfortunately, it's been going the other way lately, which is the yeah. Democrats, you know, going over to the Republican side. Hey, we got to run to a quick break, folks. Charles Goldman and Ed Fallon with you here back in a minute with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors and partners, including uh, Catholic Peace Ministry. That's an independent nonprofit organization with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. 
Catholic Peace Ministry focuses on nuclear disarmament, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, Charles, so um, just got to point out this. The, uh, you know, we, the Iowa made national news this week because of the Iowa caucuses. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, I guess, we made the news because of the horrible uh, shooting at the school in Perry. Um, just, to, just a word about that. Um, we aren't expecting that. And by the way, a second person has died. The uh, the principal, the principal who, was shot, who was shot in the died head as well. That's right. So um, we are not expecting the uh, Republicans who control the Iowa House to do anything about the problem re- with regards to mental health, gun violence, you name it. All the other all the other elements that influence uh, these mass shootings. Um, we aren't expecting anything. But they did one thing. When they came, when the uh, Senate and House were called to order last Monday, uh, GOP leaders called for a moment of silence. Yeah, that's about all that we're going to get out of them. Well, they're not even bothering with the thoughts and the prayers anymore. They just don't say anything. No, 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 no. Give her some credit. Governor Governor Reynolds did call for thoughts and prayers immediately after the shooting. I mean, yeah. it's it's disgusting. It, it is, is absolutely disgusting. It is disgusting. Now we could talk more about that, but we want to we want to jump onto another issue here: climate change, because Charles. Um, Charles likes to read, uh, well, he watches Fox News. That's correct. And he reads the Epic Times. That's right. And a lot of our audience probably aren't familiar with the Epic Times. So tell us right. a little we talked bit about, about your favorite the, newspaper. Um, well, the Epic Times. Um, that's E-P-O-C-H. E-P-O-C-H. Yeah. Not that's E-P-I-C. Correct. Right. Okay. And um, it, it, it's a paper whose funding, as we've said before, is a little bit unclear. It, it started out as an, a... Um, publication backed by Falun Gong, which is this... No um, relation to Falun Ed. Right. Yeah. Which is um, one of the religious minorities in China, which is being persecuted by, by the, the Chinese, CCP, yeah. Yeah, by the CCP yeah, yeah. government. And, and you know, it started out as a pretty typical kind of like Cuban refugee community, you know, that the evil of communism and traditional, you know, conservative, anti-socialist kinds of things you know it's all about freedom i mean but they they tend to amplify on a daily basis the emerging themes of maga you know so uh covid was caused by the chinese covid was you know something that was uh meant to uh, undermine trump you know they're anti-vaxxers very strong anti-vaxxer views um, they have a lot of connection to Hillsdale up in Michigan, which is the Hillsdale of, Foundation. Well, the Hillsdale College, which oh, yeah, college, right, yeah, right, right, and, yeah, yeah, and which is very much involved in the movement, you know, homeschooling movement, and you know, kind of revisionist history. Hillsdale and Claremont. That that would be another discussion, you know, for sure. another time about. But, but where is the funding coming? It, it, it we don't seem, know. Now it does at this seem point, like there's we been a shift. Know. Right. There's been a shift because there was a sudden shift from actually doing valid journalism, which won them some awards early on, to being nothing but a house organ for Trump. Right. You know, and and also going along with whatever goes along with that, which, as I said, anti-vaxxer, you know, anti-masking. Um, and then, of course, very strongly anti-climate change is just another, sure. you know, U.N., world government, Soros-driven 
uh, scheme to uh, to subjugate the freedom-loving Americans. You one would want to guess that maybe the maybe the maybe uh, Charles Koch is behind it. You know, I don't know that that there's any proof of that. You know, because Koch, no, Koch's involvement, a good guess. Koch's involvement, though, you know, through the various organizations, is usually pretty easy to find out. They they're not particularly concerned about hiding their involvement. We've, you know, they, they were actually usually pretty clear. So I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, is that, you know, you just have to know going in, this is what you're getting. And I find it extraordinary. One reason I find reading it worthwhile is that Fox News is like most mass media. It's just a bunch of sound bites and it's a bunch of people, you know, voicing opinions, masquerading as facts, you know. And 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 because of the bent of, the, of Fox News, you know exactly what they're going to say almost mm. before they start talking about a topic. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Epoch Times, when you read through their stuff, th- there are people who disagree with the mainstream science on certain things. And, and you know, there's, there's at least some scientific validity to it. But the one I sent you was about um, one, I guess, one of your favorite uh, people in the anti-climate change movement, uh, Patrick Moore. Patrick Moore, yeah, he he's, uh, claims to be a co-founder of Greenpeace. Right. And that, that's all through the article yeah. about his you know, previous involvement with Greenpeace. Yeah. And, what, and what are the facts of that? Well, Greenpeace says, Greenpeace says nope, not, not. I mean, he was involved with the organization early on, but he did not found it. Uh, Greenpeace apparently was founded by Phil Coat, Irving Stowe, and Jim Bolin. And, um, you know, and I th- it sounds like the big split between him and Greenpeace is over nuclear power, but he's moved on from supporting nuclear power to denying climate change itself. And um, but you know of course the epic what what I thought, what I found fascinating in that story about in the Epic Times Charles was the consistent the, you know dispense, dispensing of climate denial points that are easily refuted. I mean it doesn't take it, it, it's not that hard to refute this stuff. And so for example, I mean you know I, I would point out for the audience. So basically, the article <laughs> is ostensibly about that there is not a consensus. But basically, right. the only person that they're quoting is Patrick Moore right. and about two other people at the beginning who are climate scientists, but they disappear right away in this 20-page article when you print it out. You know, and what Moore is basically saying, number one, is that there is a dissociation between atmospheric levels of CO2 and temperature uh, over many epochs, so to speak, or eons of, right. well, of geologic time. He's also saying we need more CO2. It's good for plants. Right. And that, that's the second point. The second point is that, in fact, the amount of, uh, of CO2 in the atmosphere presently is suboptimal for green plants growing. So we need more So we need more. And, and what he, he points to the fact that, you know, for instance, if you go over to, uh, what is it, Pioneer, or they go by some other name now. They, they have Fair. this— no, well, no, no, up up on uh, in Johnston, one of the seed, you know, one one of the uh, right the Frankenstein seed places. Yeah. <laughs> so, from our house at night, there's this light you can see, right? And I was thinking it was like you know some alien landing place. Good guess, good but guess. it turns out to be the nurseries with massive light, you know, oh, yeah. that they, they run have huge at night. greenhouses. They do. Yeah. And in those greenhouses, they pump the CO2 up to about 800 parts per million, which is three times what the atmospheric level of CO2 is. So that's his argument, that basically green plants grow better in high levels of CO2, and that if we reduce CO2, 
will actually, you know, reduce the foliage cover of the earth. Um, and so that would be a bad thing. That's, you know, that's his main points. And the big, his big argument, he wrote a book about two years ago right. in which he made this big argument and he keeps showing this same graph. And what this graph is, and it'd be worth it to people to go and look at this, right? What the graph is, <laughs> is a graph showing CO2 levels going back hundreds of millions of years. Now, first of all, I have to give him credit because he's talking to MAGA, many of whom believe the Earth is only 5,000 years old. <laughs> um, but he actually acknowledges that the science would tend to indicate that the Earth is more than 5,000 years old. Well, yeah, but he's also um, citing data from way before humanity existed. We, well, we did okay. not live and could not live in those conditions. Well, exactly, exactly. That is, that's the point that, that is made. And in fact, I went and did more research on that graph. And that is exactly what the people who put that graph together said, which is that the initial graph was using historical, was using computer projections. Mm -hmm. But that the person whose graph it is actually points out that um, he had talked to more 20 years ago about that graph. But that since there's now radio, you know, oxygen isotope measurements are being done on cores of out of Greenland and Antarctica and everything else, mm -hmm. and are, are clearly showing, in fact, and, and the person who, whose graph it is said, there's no question anymore that there is, in fact, a pretty close relationship between levels of CO2 in the, in the atmosphere and the occurrence of these various changes in the climate over time. There was no question over the 500 or more years, because this is more than 500 million years, that there have been times that the Earth has been hotter than this. And humans didn't live here then. That's correct. That's yeah, but, they, but they never say that in the article. No, I know. No. The other thing is, and, and, and this is a really interesting point, which I hadn't really thought about, is that we are still living in an ice age. The Earth is far cooler now than it has been in most and of its be, existence. It would be cooler if we weren't burning all the fossil fuels. Well, that's right. But see, the argument Moore makes is just the opposite. Yeah which is that, um, you know, this warming is advantageous because it's, it, it, it's making it less likely that we'll have another age of glaciation, like the Little Ice Age back in the So it's not, only help, it's not only feeding those plants all that CO2 they crave, but it's also minimizing the risk that we're going to be under a, a glacier and see the resuscitation of the mastodon and the uh, stagmus. Right, but, but the... the, the, the the other way of looking at this, which is what, how other climate scientists pointed out, is that, um, that he's correct, that there were only a few times in Earth's history where the atmospheric CO2 was lower than the last 10,000 years, right? But because we're living in an ice age, the ice age, I know people, you know, again, <laughs> we're talking to people who think weather and climate are the same. Um, because we're living in, an, in basically a cooling period for the Earth, um, human activity is it, the the actual harm of the CO two is being covered up by the fact that the Earth is cooler. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, the problem is, you know, you get this kind of scientifically indefensible viewpoint out there. I don't know what kind of circulation the Epic Times has, but I, I see a lot of ads. A lot of ads come through uh, my my uh, mm -hmm. Facebook page and other places. But the um, you know, you, you, you don't get a rebuttal, 
into the same the same people who are reading these this this propaganda aren't reading the rebuttal that is again easily dismissing some of these lies. Or it could it, be it, being called it, lies or cherry picked facts. The thing know? is, if you look for it on the internet, you'll find that sure, there are people who if. are doing the big good work. I mean, the article that that I found. It was awesome because they went to the very people whose research Moore's book was citing and saying they had talked to him. They told him something different. He published something different. Here's the science. That's my graph from 20 years ago. I would repudiate that graph now because we now have more information. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it goes back to the same thing that happened with COVID, which is everybody's looking back now and they think science works like that. The information that a conclusion is, is ready right away. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, COVID was a unique virus. Right. And nobody knew at the beginning in the early 2020 masking, the question of masking, the question of vaccination. None mm -hmm. of this was clear. Everybody now looks back and says, oh, it was obvious because looking backwards, retrospectively, sure. these things didn't work. Well, yeah. no one knew at that time. Monday, Monday quarter. And, and the other thing that I've never understood about this whole thing about closing down in 2020 destroyed the economy and was terrible for the people who are, you know, the dissatisfied of MAGA. President Trump was the president during 2020, okay? Now, they can delude themselves into believing it's because Fauci told him that. Right. But, yeah. you know, this is, this is what you're dealing with. Yeah. So, again, I, I'm, I get back to the sad reality that it is possible to put out these kind. I mean, it used to be, we used to have one kind of... Uh, um, media source that you could count on as being mostly fabrication and then the National Enquirer, right? Yeah. Yeah. But now, now we have so many different sources. Well, there were other journals that were like the National Enquirer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, it's not that there aren't publications from the political left that also misrepresent facts, mm -hmm. but it's largely uh, the, the domain of, um, of, of right-wing media and uh, not just uh, Epic Times. I mean, Fox News actually seems reasonable compared to the Epic Times. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you've also got, of course, my, my favorite right-wing uh, media outlet to, to follow is... Uh, is uh, Newsmax? No, no, no. Good guess. OAN. Uh, Clay Another and Buck. No, no. Clay and Buck, the, uh, the uh, Rush Limbaugh replacements on, mm -hmm. on what? A couple hundred stations in the U.S. I can't remember how many. But they think of millions and millions of people listening to them. And they can spew this stuff. And they do regularly dismiss climate change. And they get away with it because there's nobody responding and they will never have... That station will never have anybody on who has another opinion, just like this guy. You know, at least a paper like a Gannett paper, like the Des Moines Register, mm -hmm. will provide an alternative viewpoint. For example, even though they endorsed expanding the airport, they let me come on and write an op-ed saying why it might be a bad idea. But these folks will never provide an alternative viewpoint. Well, I think the other problem we're in right now is, is that a lot of people, um, for various reasons, are much more willing to accept that what they feel is true as opposed to what they know or what maybe it can be educated on. Yeah. And so, you know, given that, it, we're in a very anti-factual, anti-science time. And that yeah. is what the anti-vax movement and the anti-masking movement is about, which is that you're able to take advantage of people feeling imposed upon well, because it's what of the, the It's what the anti-climate action movement is about, mm -hmm. too. And, you know, part it's very, this is, this sort of story from the Epic Times is very comforting because what it says is, hey, you can just keep on doing what you're doing. In fact, you know, do more of it because these plants need more CO2. So go out there and, 
you know, get a get a bigger pickup with lower mileage and and drive it more often. <laughs> you know, well, do do your part for uh, for corn production. And and, and the anti-science part of Moore is that he goes back and uses references from 20 years ago, and the technology has moved on and has made sure. different conclusions. Yeah. Or, or, or again, like you said, he cites uh, data from 500 million years ago that's that can't exist. It can't condition. exist. I mean, that's what the graph says. The graph says about temperatures. 500 million years ago. It's pretty clear there was nobody around to record those temperatures. Yeah. So, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that they were computer generated. Yeah. Hey, we got to run to a break. Uh, going to talk food when we come back, Charles. Um, our governor and several other governors around the country are saying no to food vouchers for hungry kids. Uh, bizarre. And we'll talk about that when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, one of our sponsors. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Ed Fallon with Charles Goldman in the studio here today. Um, so a bunch of states, including Iowa, uh, I think 14 states altogether, the, our governor turned down nearly $29 million in federal funding that would be used to help kids who are low income, who are, you know, maybe, at, maybe uh, food insecure, help uh, pay for food vouchers during the summertime. Um, it, would have, it would have amounted to 40 bucks per kid and uh, would have benefited about almost a quarter of a million Iowa kids. She said no. And her claim is that uh, these uh, federal cards, these federal vouchers, there would have been you know, elect electronic benefits transfer cards. Uh, they do nothing to address the crisis of obesity in America. And I'm saying, really? I mean... <laughs> First of all, so, you mean, so so you're saying that the parents are always going to be are always going to be deciding to use these cards to buy bad food. I mean, what's what's what is what's really going on here, Charles? What is she really 
hoping to accomplish by saying no to 29 million bucks that can help poor kids? Um, I, I did not fathom this decision whatsoever. Um, She's not the only one either. 13 right. other states. What, what is going on here? I mean, there, there's no logic to that. Yeah, okay, clearly we have an obesity problem. But why, why does 40 bucks a month for a kid mean mean it, it mean that's going to make it worse? I mean, come on. It, yeah, it, it's not. I'm, I think, again, it's, it's just part of the dogmatic response to... I mean, it, it's somewhat akin to the uh, various states, all of them red states, that sued to block the loan forgiveness for the... Student loans? For the student yeah, loans, yeah. right. And they, in, in another one of SCOTUS's, you know, complete, you know, completely ignoring standing, the harm that they supposedly were going to suffer as a state, if, you know, <laughs> 400,000 people got, you know, up to $20,000 less responsibility for the loans, how that's good for anybody other than... You know, um, it's it's it a Biden federal government. We don't want any of this to be seen. And in some sense, it's it's kind of like you know what Trump did when he wanted to make sure that his signature was enlarged on the refund checks <laughs> that people were getting. You know, and I think that's what we've got. We've come to that. You know, Americans seem to love to alternate the government. You know, between the parties to some degree. All that does is is put you in this this gridlock position where nobody on the other side wants to do anything that yeah. might make the present government look good. That's that's the problem with our current system of government. You got in, in you know in parliamentary systems, you tend to have less of that uh, radical swing from one side to the other. Right. I mean, yeah. and and so you know you see this all the time. I mean, like the you know the immigration issue was a big issue for Iowa voters. In, sure. in in the caucuses, at least they they said it was, you know. And one of the one of the biggest issues, or the two biggest issues, are number one, they say that they're stealing American jobs. Well, that would be interesting if unemployment weren't at a record low. So how is it that these people are supposedly stealing American jobs, but American employment is at a level, in fact, it's below what it probably should be. So, and, and tying that back into our conversation about these food vouchers. Well, the food vouchers come from the federal government run right. by the, you know, Joe Biden. So you think if Donald Trump had approved these vouchers? It would be uh, fine. They'd be fine. And yeah. Trump would be the last person to talk about obesity. <laughs> and of course it's ludicrous. You know, I'm, so should we not give, maybe we shouldn't leave so much money in the hands of other people who are adults who are massively overweight. Yeah. You know, I... I think it's it 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 leads to nothing being done. Immigration's the same way. Immigration has nothing's been done for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> so I, there was a, there was a really interesting letter to the editor yeah. uh, on this uh, by uh, John Gersip uh, in the Des Moines Register. He said, "Quote: I find it interesting that with the governor's refusal to accept federal money for children's lunches, based on her belief that the food is not nutritious enough, she seems to forget that the children don't buy the food." She touts her belief that parents should have a say in what books they read and what school they use, what school they attend using tax money, but apparently not what the children are served. Refusing to accept federal money does not address the real problem, but it could have lasting impact on the children. It's a good letter. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and the other, the other question, too, is 
So what about all the businesses that would benefit from the expense of those of that twenty nine million bucks? Parents are going to spend them somewhere. Grocery stores, it's farmers markets. Yeah, it's the same argument. They're all about freedom. It's the same argument about the student loans. That's money you're putting back in the hands of people to spend. They're not spending. They're not giving it to banks. You know, and that's. I think that's a good point. Yeah. It, it's economic activity. So I, 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 again, I think it's just this dogmatic idea of we're not doing anything to make the Democrats look good. We've talked about how there's a Republican war on women, on minorities, on the poor. And uh, it's just remarkable to me that they get away with it. And, and this, is a, this is another, I mean, just another indicator. I mean, uh, 250,000 Iowans would benefit. Two, let me rephrase that. 250,000 Iowa kids would benefit. Yeah, remember, this is the family values. Right. Pro-life how, how is this? How is this pro-life? How is this pro-family? Denying the opportunity for twenty nine million bucks to be spent for food. I mean, and you know, it's not like you know. And, and Reynolds talks about the state program. Well, the state program is you you've got to be at a certain place at a certain time to take advantage of certain food items. With an EBT card of forty bucks a month, mm-hmm. you can spend it wherever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to be tied to the government's agenda, the government's schedule. It, to me, it's just it it, it is it, it blows the mind that anybody could believe this is fair, reasonable, and a good idea. And, and again, rejecting 29 million bucks. Right. I mean, she, she complains about, you know, the, the state having too much money now. We're going to, you know, cut. She, I mean, she wants to cut taxes. Okay, so, well, you can cut it by 29, billion, 29, 29 million more. If, you know, if you, what I really don't understand is why this doesn't become a more prominent organizing issue for either Democratic candidates or more reasonable Republican candidates who you know, think that uh, our governor could be doing a lot better. It's unclear, really, in this session, what are they going to concentrate on? I mean, we already know they're going to go back to the book banning thing because it looks as though the, the courts may be um, getting in the way of that. <laughs> right. Um, and they're going to have to rewrite. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have to rewrite it. And I'm sure they'll bring in the, the Moms for Liberty to help them with writing that legislation. <laughs> Um, Monster Liberty may be done. They may be they done. May be right. done. Yeah, they may be done. Thanks to a three-way. <laughs> well, <laughs> it turns out there was more than one three-way oh. with those three people. And, okay. and now another like school board member in another like Kentucky or Tennessee you know, was uh, thrown off the school board, a Monster Liberty person, because uh, she was shoplifting at Target. You know, you know of course, it, it, it's all about uh, crime. See, if she, if she had one of those $40 a month benefit cards for food, she wouldn't have had to shoplift. Well, I mean, I guess the question is, do you need a $40 a month card as opposed to finding a way to get that amount of money back in the hands of people who, by the economic circumstances, right. need no, that you're, money? You're exactly right. And, you know, part of this, I guess, is seen as the coercion of the you know bureaucratic overlords, the deep state, telling people that you have to spend this $40 on food as opposed to what the Republicans would say is the right thing to do is just give them the $40. And you mean not, not take it from their taxes? Correct. Yeah, okay, you know, well. Use it as a credit, but don't link it to you. have to spend it on food. I mean. That's fine. That's fine. But, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> the tax structure is such that uh, those who the tax cuts benefit, benefit have been the upper crust. Well, by and large, it, you know, and, and that's a good point, which is that a lot of people who are in the, the particularly the, the economic strata that gets hit, hit the most, in, both by percentage and also actual money, 
in terms of, of taxation, tend to view all these other giveaways, you know, as the Republicans like to call them, right. as um, inimical to their interests. Now, of course, I would argue having a part of your population that is desperate because they're starving or they're cold during the winter because they don't have enough money to heat their houses right. or all these other things leads to social unrest. And eventually those people come for your stuff too. That's one problem, which is, you know, if, if the money is spent so that people can at least survive capitalism and our, you know, in our country, then that's money well spent. The other is that the people who pay a lot of taxes underrate the advantages that they also are given by our tax structure. Uh, I mean, the two biggest returns of money to taxpayers in the United States is the pre-tax status of health insurance mm. and the second, the mortgage interest deduction. Those are not ones that people who are poor are taking much advantage of, you know. But it's just like Paul Krugman has said in the Times multiple times. You know, everybody in the United States is a moocher. It's just that everybody thinks everybody else is a bigger moocher than they are, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So this kind of thing, I think, also appeals. That's another appeal of, of refusing the money is that it's seen as a giveaway. And, you know, the, the Republican um, upper middle class doesn't like but again if, if trump were president and he decided to issue these uh, 40 dollars a month ebt cards it would probably be fine because be fine. it would it would it, yes it would show what a great well, president you know was. and i saw and, and in all fairness to when i was a legislator i saw i saw this kind of behavior in a bipartisan way i i mean i i, I can't i can't remember the exact votes one of them was on transportation but uh, every democrat voted against something that a republican proposed relevant to highway funding Right. And then a couple of years later, the exact same proposal was made um, by Democrats, and every Republican voted against it. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like okay, so this is clearly a vote taken because of partisan politics, nothing right. else, nothing on the issue. Well, that's what Romney was saying in his book. He said, you know, they would have discussions in Senate subcommittees that um, never talked about the issue at hand. Mm-hmm. It would be. How can I take this back to my constituency? Right, yeah. Now, that would be the frequent, you know, again, when, when this is a different kind of caucus, when, when House Democrats or House Republicans would meet privately without any press there, without any interlopers from the other party, those were called Republican or Democratic caucuses. And in those caucuses, uh, in the Democratic caucuses, which I was always involved with, of course, the, um, there was one guy who always got up and said, you know, I don't care about the details of this issue. I want to know what the politics of it are. Mm. And that would often become the focus of the conversation. What are the politics of this? Right. So, How's this going to To play? Romney's point, yeah. 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 Hey, we've got to run to a short break. Uh, Charles, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. We're going to kind of continue a little bit of this tack when we come back. Kathy Burns is going to join me for our farm and food segment. We'll be discussing the poverty-obesity paradox. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, 
children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks again to all of our sponsors, partners, monthly supporters, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, Taya, so in the studio with me now, Nikki Haley. No, it's Ooh, it's, uh, it's Kathy it, Burns. It, it is I. Ever since your dental hygienist said you look like Nikki Haley, I just... I it's think been a fun joke. It's been a fun joke. <laughs> if, I, if I do my hair a certain way and put on a suit jacket and uh, emphasize my cheekbones with my makeup, I can make that happen. We've got to try that sometime. <laughs> anyway. So, hey, uh, piggybacking on our last uh, last segment's conversation about the uh, the rejection of... EBT cards for uh, food for the summer, summer for the kids. Um, uh, you, you know, there's, the, you know, the governor complains about uh, the fact that a lot of kids are obese, and yeah, it's a problem, but doesn't seem to be willing to make that connection between poverty and obesity. Right. Um, childhood obesity is, is a definite problem uh, because it's linked to children's overall health throughout their childhood into adulthood. And as a nation, we need not to uh, restrict food, actually. We need to provide mm-hmm. more food and good food. And that's, that's the thing. And there's this, this has to do with the whole thing called the poverty-obesity paradox. Yeah, and you know, when I lived in the, uh, when, when my wife and I, at the time, raised our family in the uh, poorest census tract mm-hmm. in Iowa, in the inner city of Des Moines, uh, we, um, I mean... The, the, the grocery store, and I'm putting that in quotes, was a convenience store. Right. And the food products available were all, you know, they were mostly inclined to encourage obesity. Right, right. And uh, it, as well, uh, my first husband and the kids and I were all on some assistance programs when I was first starting out as a teacher. Because teacher pay has never been up to speed either. But uh, the, chi- the poverty-obesity paradox is the inverse correlation between families who are food insecure and obesity. And that can lead to a lot of health problems. In the United States, there are 17.1 million households who are food insecure. And that means there are 32.4 million adults and 16.7 million children. That's as of 2023. Yeah, so... It's a multifaceted problem because, mm-hmm. you know, you've got subsidies for poor quality foods. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, Iowa corn farmers, you know, subsidies for corn, when corn becomes high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. is, a, is a problem. It's, it's, not, it's not a healthy food. So, so the money is being pumped into that. And then mm-hmm. people are saying, don't give the families, um, you know, 
access to food because there's obesity. That's a that's a paradox in and of itself. So yeah. some of the reasons uh, suggested by researchers that explain this paradox, of course, as you were just saying, the low cost of highly processed foods uh, because they are cheap and they are available. And subsidized. And yeah. subsidized. Yeah. Um, a lot of individuals who uh, work in multi, you know, multiple jobs cannot still put food on the table. And that means they're away from the home working instead of being able to take the time to prepare fresh foods for the meal for the family. So right there, the fact that people aren't getting enough income mm. in the jobs that they work, and they're working, that, that means that they don't have time to do that. Yeah. And you know, you, of course, you always—it's—it's it's like with with a lot of problems. You want to blame the uh, blame the individual, saying, "Well, people can make better choices." And yes, that's true. People can make better choices. But again, when you live in a when you live in the the lowest income census tract in Iowa, mm-hmm. and you're only and you, and you don't have a car or you, you don't have a functional car. That's right. Or and you walk to the grocery the quote grocery store. It's a convenience store, and it's. Also, with location, a lot of uh, people who have low incomes have smaller yards for kids to go out and play in. Uh, they don't have as many parks or as nice of parks, walking paths. They don't have the access to, you know, a bounce house or activities that people pay to take their children mm-hmm. to to get acti- activity during the winter. So that, again, affects, and and, the, and I did chance upon, I didn't uh, realize there were even studies in animals that have shown the animals uh, who and who they actually store weight in their bodies because if they're sometimes Ah, food insecure, like through the cold winter that we're going through now, their bodies learn to store fat. And that is a permanent solution for them throughout their lives, storing fat Hmm. so that they can anticipate food insecure moments. And there are studies to see if this is happening in children and adults who are food insecure as well. That's interesting. Interesting, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's not surprising to me that when Governor Reynolds wants to criticize the federal government's program of, you know, about 29 million bucks for Mm -hmm. just food insecurity, that she doesn't bring up poverty. Mm-hmm. She brings up obesity, <laughs> right? But never mentions never the source of the obesity. Oh, might be the poverty itself. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that's one source. I think the other is a is a is a set of subsidies that mm-hmm. uh, that reward uh, big operators. I mean, in particular, you know, farmers less so than the middleman, the conagras and uh, and other you know big corporations that mm-hmm. that process that food. They're they're the ones who really get the primary benefit from those subsidies. So in addition to educating our families who are low income about the right foods to feed their children, it sounds like some of our lawmakers need some education about mm-hmm. the real science behind yeah. food insecurity and, and obesity. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Kathy. Thanks to our production team, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our music. We'll be back next week, folks, with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.